morning. Here you go. Sun. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me. Let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His Lord. Think about it. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. And my time has gone Still my soul will sing your praise
how great how great is our God sing with me how great is our God the almighty how great how great is our God in the name above all names You're the name above all names Worthy Worthy of all Our hearts will sing How great is our God Last time, how great Here we go, just your voices to those words and when we sing how great is our God what I want us to do right now without speaking but just each one of us who is a transformed follower of Jesus Christ in your heart I want you to collect up one thing one way that God has shown himself great to you and then just under your breath just speak that to him it's a genuine praise. Go ahead and do that under your breath. It might be the purest of all worship, God, our actions, how we act, and then the things that come out of our heart when no one else is listening. Be blessed. Be worshipped in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. You guys, it's a family, so come on in and have a seat. You don't need to wait for anything. Keep on coming in. Um, I wanted to share, well, actually, I didn't want to share, but I don't always get what I want. Um, So I'm here to share a little bit about um, how our journey through Kings has impacted me. Through Rod and Neil's sermons and also um, Neil's ministry training, which my husband Ken and I were just really privileged to be a part of, um, I just have a really different view of God and God's Word. Um, I became a believer in my first Bible study. I went into it thinking I was a believer, but found out differently. And I haven't stopped either being in a Bible study, teaching a Bible study, being studying the word somehow, but I always felt like there was, um, I was missing something, like the big picture. Um, I think someone's actually used this analogy before, but when you put a puzzle together, anyway, when I put a puzzle together, I look for all the border pieces, and I put the whole border together, then I find like the sky pieces, the barn pieces, the landscape pieces, whatever. Well, I had some great sky and land and barn pieces, but I didn't have the border. And that's what, um, as Rod and Neil talked about, how we are 
God's special people in his special place under the blessing of his rule and authority so that we can be a blessing and then coupled with that whole one, two, three analogy that has made such an incredible difference in how I not only view the Bible but how I view my God. Um, it's um, given me a passion for the word like I've never had before. I come to it now with just great expectancy, like, what are you going to show me today, God? In fact, today, this morning, in Isaiah 26, I know I've read this before, but it said, um, we have been under the rule of many kings, and they have all died, but you, God, we will worship forever. And I saw that in such a new way today. It was amazing. Um, it's also given me a confidence in sharing the word. In fact, tomorrow night I start a one-on-one -on -one with a, a young woman that um, knows nothing about the Bible and very little about Jesus. Um, so I come to the table with this, this framework that I can give her. And she begins her journey into the Word of God with that framework. And I just, I'm just so excited about that. I'm really excited to be able to, with confidence, share that for her um, or with her. Um, but more than the confidence and more than the puzzle coming together, um, more than looking at the, the word and now knowing where do I fit in, does this apply to me, is this about me, is this about Jesus, where is Jesus in it, more than that, um, it's just given me a deeper love for my Lord and Savior. I walked out of here last Sunday and I just thought of that, that, that term, I love that term, King of Kings, that we give Jesus. And it had such a deeper meaning to me because he is the king of all kings. And so many places in the word, he, he shows us that. And he wants us to know that it's only him that can fulfill that in our lives. And so I just want to thank Rod and thank Neil for their humbleness in in being our teachers and our shepherds and just walking with us and leading us through the journey of this amazing um, journey that we're on with, with God in, in his special place, being his special people. So thank you. Right. Um, here's where we're going this morning. We've been in a season, and let me ask this question. What are we right now? What are we? Just throw some things out. Come on. Crossroads, what are we? Family, yeah. Locker room. Oh, I like this. These are some of those old things coming back. What are we not? We're not sitting in rows, even though you are sitting in rows. <laughs> what else? We're not stage audience. Listen, we are not here to conduct worship services. That's not why we exist. Where we can sing songs, preach sermons, go home. We exist 
to not go to church, but to be the church. 24-7, 365. And that means to us, some of the things that church is not is, first of all, it's not a stage audience. It's, it's, it's not just the few up here and then all of you out there listen and, and go home. It's not just something we do on Sunday mornings. We so badly want to push into you so that you can go out there into that world and be the church and be Christ. And one of the things that um, Neil and I and our whole staff have just, it's been put on our hearts, especially I think in the last year, and I think we're finally unleashing it, is this desire to raise you guys up so that you are in a place now where you're not just depending on uh, the teachers or the preachers, the pastors, but that you yourselves are learning how to read your Bible, how you yourself are learning how to understand your Bible, and how you yourself are learning how to apply your Bible to your life so that you can then do what Patricia just said and now read your Bible with someone else, uh, not for information, not for information, but for transformation. Because we believe this book is alive. And that God through it and through the work of his Holy Spirit, when we, when we take it in and we place ourselves under it, that he's going to transform our lives. And so because we're not just conducting services, but because we're a family, what we want to do this morning is we want to just pause from what we do every week. And we want to give expression to what God has been doing in this family over this last season. And we get to hear these stories all the time, but we just thought it would be great, too, for you to hear some stories this morning of what God's doing in this family, how he's transforming people. And then we're going to worship, of course, in response to that. And then we're going to leave this morning and, and go out there. One of the things that I want you to ask this morning, though, as you're hearing some of these stories, how's God working in me? How's God, how, how's God transforming me? What's he doing in my life? <laughs> Richard just yells out, he got me back to church. It's been a while, hasn't it, Richard? It's good to see you again, my brother. <laughs> so, with that being said, um, one of the things I thought that would, we could just start this morning before we step into... Uh, just hearing what God has been doing in, in people's lives is we've come through this series on the kings. Are there any questions? Any questions that you have on your, on your, on your mind as we've, as we've studied a part of the Bible that we normally don't go to? I didn't expect too many. Not because we're so like clear and concise. But I think it's one of those things, again, that uh, we don't create a lot of space for on a Sunday morning is, is dialogue and Q&A. Um, but if there would be any questions, I'd, I think I'd uh, happily entertain them. And see, this is where I wish Neil was here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he did preach that sermon, right? <laughs> but give me more specifics. It has, it has the Egyptian 
Yeah. Oh. I know. It does. I read that story and I'm just like, why? I, I ask the same question again. And hopefully one of the things you guys are realizing when you read the kings is that these, these kings do two things. They point us back to how Adam failed and to everything Jesus isn't, or they point us forward to the king, everything that Jesus will be. And Josiah, as good as this guy is, as godly as he is, um, he has clay feet. And in that moment, I think we see the humanness and the failure of Josiah. And it leaves us longing. Oh, where's one greater than Josiah? Is he going to come? Is he going to come? Any other questions? That's our, that's our style right there, man. Just bark it out. You guys act like you're sitting in church. Just look around for a minute. You're in a gym, okay? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Can we do a little sword drill here? <laughs> I won. <laughs> Haggai 2. Uh, what verse? 23? Okay. Hear the words of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time in the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheatel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Two things. Number one, God is the king of kings. And he is the king of kings in and through his Christ. And we're already getting a glimpse uh, as he's giving us the promise through uh, Sheetal of that one day the signet ring is going to be on his finger. But through his seed, again, this is coming through David. This is reminding us it's through the seed of David that God's ultimate king is going to come. And Revelation gives us really in this little verse where we live right now. The kingdom of this world. All its kings, all its emperors, all its pharaohs, all its Caesars. The kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of his Christ. It is. And that's what we get to be a part of. You may be seated. <laughs> Maybe one more question. Way back there. Ah, oh, were you here a couple summers ago when we, we looked at that? Okay. Um, we looked at Isaiah 61, which is really a text about Jubilee. The, here's the question. 
Is there a time in Israel's history, history where they ever practiced jubilee? Jubilee, of course, is the ultimate Sabbath. God not only told them one day a week, I want you to rest, but also every seven years, that seventh year, I want you to rest. And then the seventh, seventh, that 50th year, jubilee. Let it all rest. Remember who I am. I'm the Lord your God. Don't trust what you can do, what you can manufacture, what you can build. Put it down and get tuned into me as a whole people. There is no evidence at all that they practice Jubilee. In fact, the last chapter of the Hebrew Bible, which we looked at last time, the last chapter of Second Chronicles, God gives reason as to why the Babylonians ultimately come in and destroy Israel once and for all. It's because they didn't practice Sabbath. Sabbatical year, jubilee. Jesus comes and proclaims the year of jubilee. And jubilee is right at the heart of what God's king is going to usher in. So we should have a bumper sticker. Honk if you're enjoying jubilee. Because <laughs> we're in it. All right. The Bible is about God's kingdom and God's king. It's about God's people and God's place, enjoying God's presence and priesting that presence into all the world. And God, I just pray this morning that as we have studied this, And yes, as we've really seen both the successes and the failures of your kings, that more than anything, Lord, we would see how this all sets the table, that in the fullness of time, you brought to the world the king of kings, who you had in mind before you even created anything. And that through your king, you are going to usher in your kingdom, and the kingdom of this world will eventually become the kingdom of your Christ. And Lord, what I pray right now is that would be more than just information to us. Be our king. Be the king of of our hearts, the king of our lives, the king of this church, the king of our families. Be the king, Lord, of Grand Rapids. Be the king of the United States. Be the king of the world. Because you are. And I pray, Lord, that our response is that we bow the knee to you the King. In Jesus' name, amen. We good? Um, I'm just going to read because I can do it better, otherwise I talk really fast. 
It's always curious to me how God can take different situations and varying conversations and make them not only interrelate, but build on each other. This study in Kings has been an example of this for me over the past many weeks. Rod Neal has shown us many things in our study during this time. Things like God is always working his plan, not ours. Man's involvement in the plan is key, but not always in the way that a man would expect, or in some cases it's even intended by the man. God is working even or especially in the darkest moments when situation would indicate that things are hopeless. It may not be seen, but he is still accomplishing his plan and driving his purpose. These and many more things we've seen during the study of Kings. However, what is being repeatedly impressed on me is, so what? So what that I know that God is working his plan if I allow myself to be consistently discouraged when things don't work out like I anticipated? So what that I know that God is working through us and through others if I'm frustrated when I try to do what I think God would want and find the effort is totally rebuffed and many times turns out exactly the way I didn't want? So what if I know all these things? that I've seen in the study, if the knowledge isn't having any effect on who I am outside of this locker room. God isn't interested in my fully agreeing or sometimes even understanding what he's doing. He is interested and passionately desires that I continue to both trust in what I know is true and do what he's commanded, even when I don't understand. The study in Kings has shown me that my responsibility isn't to feel good about what is happening. It is only to be faithful in following him and doing what he's shown me. If I only know what God has done, and if I only know that he's now working that same plan today, but I'm not letting that knowledge change, shape, and mold me in what I do, then do I really know the God I say I'm following? Do I really know that he is good, just, and righteous? Do I know that he's the one that deserves all the praise? The thing I'm being impressed on with the study of Kings is that knowing is not enough. James says in chapter 1, just don't, let the, don't listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. He also says in chapter 4, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. I said initially it's curious how God brings different things together. During the study in Kings and even before, many conversations with other people. And a recent one occurred even this past Friday night. Tammy and I were reading a couple's devotionals and found this word. A.W. Tozer said the word of God was not given to us to make us intelligent sinners, but obedient and authentic saints. Devotional went on to say, as important as it is to remember God and to fear God, it is equally important to obey. He He concluded with Thomas Carlyle saying, conviction, be it ever so excellent, is worthless until it converts us into conduct. I know so much about God and have seen how he worked his plan through men in the time of kings. He is the same God, yesterday, today, and forever. So I know he's working today and wants my involvement in his plan. So what? What will I do with what I know? We've got to let Rick get back behind that computer again. Thank you, dude. Would you behold in there? Behold in there the prison my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchanging. One in itself. 
So for the past few months going through this King series, I've just been really humbled to be part of a church where God's spirit is so clearly moving. Um, I think it's really humbling to see Rod and Neil up here every Sunday and get their teaching and be so excited about what they're teaching. And it sometimes for me is like, wow, they know so much. How do we get there? And to like take a whole two months or whatever we went through to say, this is how, has been so awesome. And we talk about being a locker room church and do 90% outside. And I think Rod and Neil have really showed us how to do that now. 
Um, so the things that God's been doing through this has been awesome. I think um, my fiance and I were talking a couple weeks ago, and she just brought up how no matter how great these good kings were, no matter how many great things they did, they still failed, like, miserably. And that's scary for me because I'm just, you know, I'm just not even a representative for God in the way the kings were. And it just shows me how deep my sinful nature is and how I can just slip up in a second. And so that's really been, um, God's been pushing that on my heart, um, just asking him to sanctify every part of my life to him. And um, the more and more I ask, the more and more I seem to fail. And uh, I think when Rod preached about like Jesus being like that bridegroom king, it's so encouraging knowing that we are going to fail and we are going to mess up just like the kings did. But to know that God is sovereign from alpha to omega and to know that he knows that is so comforting because he already provided everything for us and he proposed to us and we just have to trust in his love to empower us to break through that sin so that we can be nearer to him and I think that's really just hit home that he's sovereign over everything and really just to see from beginning to end that it's all in his hands and his plan will succeed and we just have to obey and just humbly accept this plan. So this series has been awesome and has really just sparked my desire to read the Old Testament through chronologically now that I know what to do with it. And that's just, that's just such a blessing. So, yeah. Good morning. I have an Easter story to share this morning, last Easter, April 24th. My pastor at the time was Will Clegg at Wesley Park United Methodist. Will and I grew up together in Eaton Rapids, Michigan. Will, who has since retired, commented at the Easter service that Easter is a time that doesn't change our circumstances, but it can change our perspective. Well, well, anyway, I've developed a ritual of getting up at 4.30 and taking about 45 minutes to meditate, plan, and reflect in my cabin by candlelight. On Good Friday a year ago, which was April 22nd, I came to the conclusion that I needed a change in my life. I was drinking way too much, and my relationships with family and friends needed repair. That day I ended an on-and-off relationship with a woman that definitely had no future. I emailed a friend and suggested that we get together and get our friendship back on track. And I called Pastor Will to set up an appointment to discuss my commitment to sobriety. I asked Will if the church was still planning a Good Friday service at 6 that night. He said, yes, it is a go-at-your-own-pace journey to the cross, and asked if I would be there. I said, yes. The whole day, I felt as if I were at a crossroads or a day of atonement in my life. 
I drove to the church from work, and I got there shortly after 6. There were not many cars in the parking lot, which was good because I did not feel like socializing. When I got inside the church, I was given a pamphlet entitled Journey to the Cross. I sat and read the pamphlet in the narthex and noticed that the last station was Crossroads. What will you do with Jesus? I was dumbfounded. The word that had been going through my head all day, Crossroads. I slowly proceeded from station to station and a reflective peace and awe came over me. I savored the story of Christ's last days on earth. Not many people had arrived so I could take my time at each station. As I came to Station 9, Crucifixion, a volunteer said this involved going into a private room, and the room to the left was open. I entered the room, and there was a six-foot cross in the room with a kneeling pad before it. There were also pieces of paper, nails, and a hammer. The instructions were to slow down and write on the piece of paper whatever sins you wanted forgiven or circumstances you wanted changed in your life. Without hesitation, I wrote, Addicted to Non-Reality and nailed it to the cross. I knelt at the cross, and I prayed for God's strength to make me a better man and lead a life not filled with self-absorption. I spent several minutes in the room and left in wonderment at what the experience of this journey was doing to me. The last station, Crossroads, was located in the sanctuary. The instructions for Station 12 were to pause and reflect, you are at the crossroads. What will you do with Jesus? It gave each person the opportunity to speak or pray with Pastor Will, who was seated in the rear of the dimly lit sanctuary. I sat in the front pew and said a short prayer, but became anxious to speak to Will. As I approached his pew, I began to weep. As I sat next to him, he asked, what's wrong, man? I said, Will, it is my time to commit to Jesus with tears flowing down my face. He told me, this is exciting news. Let's pray and ask God to bring you into his arms. We prayed for several minutes, and then Will told me, Butch, I am proud to call you my friend. I left the sanctuary and thanked several volunteers in the narthex. I went to my car, got in, and started to shake for about five minutes. I drove home and decided it was finally time to watch Passion of the Christ, I had had the DVD for several years, but never had the nerve to watch it, but how appropriate after my experience at church and it being Good Friday. I watched in amazement how close the details followed what I had experienced at church. It was difficult to watch the humiliation and beating that Jesus was enduring. Several times I simply had to look away. At the conclusion, when Jesus walked out of the tomb with holes in his hands, it began to thunder over the hill at my log cabin where I live. It became intense, and lightning flashes were all around me. I just was amazed at how it related to when Jesus died on the cross when darkness covered the earth. Little did I realize what this thunder and lightning truly represented. Going back to Pastor Will's comment about Easter, it may not change your circumstances, but it can change your perspective. Well, both my circumstances and perspective were changed that Easter. My family lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we could not be together for Easter. However, Easter dinner was planned for those still in town for the weekend, my sister Sheila, daughter Natalie, and my son Nicholas. 
Natalie called me mid-afternoon and said that she and Sheila were at Nick's apartment because they became alarmed when he did not show for dinner. Natalie said there's no answer at the door, but his car was in the parking lot. I told her to call the police. They came and broke down the door and discovered Nick's lifeless body. We have determined from Facebook posts and cell phone records that Nick died on Good Friday from an accidental drug overdose. The family came together in Charlotte in less than six hours from Michigan and Virginia, which seemed like an eternity until we could comfort each other through the darkest valley one could fathom, that of losing a child. Nick was an awesome, caring, caring, sensitive human being. Nick was 22 and in college pursuing a degree in philosophy. His family and friends had no idea about his drug use. Nick was very bright and totally involved in his family and friends' lives. We celebrated having Nick in our life April 22nd in Charlotte, the anniversary of Nick's death. But surprisingly, Nick's passing has brought many blessings to our lives through God's grace. My relationships with family and friends are Christ-based, real, sober, and genuine, and not based on selfishness and materialism. Nick's mother, Susan, and I are well along in the process of reconciling our broken marriage after almost 20 years of being divorced. She has moved to Charlotte and lives in our home there with our oldest daughter, Natalie, and is raising our 16-year-old niece. Our other daughter, Shannon, and her husband and my sister live five minutes away. Susan and I are going to Israel with the group led by Rod and Libby in June. I am blessed to be attending this church and coming closer to God through the awesome teaching of Rod and Neil. I've connected with Doug Tages on several occasions and have bonded from our losses, which occurred about a week apart. Doug shared the following passage with me at lunch recently as to my awakening, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life has gone. A new life has begun. I've given my life to Christ to control, and it has been awesome to say the least. You will never imagine the name of our church in Charlotte, Crossroads. April 22, 2011 was not a coincidence, not a freak of nature, It was the Holy Spirit talking to me loud and clear. On Good Friday, God sacrificed his only begotten son to save mankind for our sin. Last Good Friday, my son's death took me on my journey to Christ. Thank you. These are the the stories of our family. These are the people you sit with every week. This is the work of God in this community. And I just say, bless him. He's working. He's moving. He's on the throne. He is the king. Let's stand. Into the darkness you shine I just realized 
turned into wine.
like to start off by telling you a, a unique street corner that I have, and it has to do with this. Not the Detroit Lions, but probably my favorite team. <laughs> and uh, I am a coach over at Unity Christian High School, and I've been able to reach kids as young as second grade all the way through seniors in high school. Being at Unity Christian has been an awesome blessing to me. Um, it gives me an opportunity to not just connect with kids with football, but to share my faith with them. We uh, have devotions before each practice and before each game, and it's not just a reading, it's not just a quick prayer. It's uh, coaches sharing what's meaningful in their life with kids. And uh, hearing this King series has been a big challenge to me. Um, Hearing about kings that are all in and running after God, like he's desperate for God. And uh, so when you ask God tough and honest questions, sometimes you get tough and honest answers. And uh, to God, he was like, Mark, you love football. There's something deeper in you that needs to come out. Something that maybe you've been suppressing for too long now. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And uh, my worry was, what about this? What about this mission, God? Where I meet with kids and, I don't know, I feel like I pour into them. And uh, God's like, I know, I know, but there's something deeper that's bigger than football. And uh, you're more passionate about. And I know it's going to be scary because you're familiar with this. You grew up with this. It's easy. But uh, take a step of faith. And uh, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay down something that is difficult to lay down. Um, But for something better. God met me. In a difficult part in my life, which is, and it's hard to admit, but my marriage um, was hurting. And uh, God became so real during that time of hurt 
that I know that as good as this is, it's not as, as good as how God became real to me. And I had people come around us, my wife and I, family, some of them that know, and other friends that walked us and said, hey, we don't have answers, but we know someone that does. And that's God. And God can heal. He can restore. He doesn't just allow you to cope with situations. He's ready to go in and heal and restore and make new. That's what's burning inside of my wife and I right now. So I've laid this down. And going after marriages. And if you're a couple right now, I'm telling you, that's going through a difficult time. My wife and I are ready to journey with you and walk with you, and not because we have answers, but because we know one that does and is willing to pour into you. And all we are going to do is walk you through that journey and share in that with you as you come to realize how big our God is like we've learned. You're loving this, aren't you, Carly? This is, this is it. This is the deal. Um, we're not here to just get more and more information. Every Sunday we come and what more information we, can we get? Nuh-uh. No, no, you got the wrong church if that's why you're here. The gospel transforms us from the inside out. And when it points us to a king, it calls us, it calls us to lay things down. What are you laying down? What am I laying down? Is it just another sermon? <laughs> what are we laying down? Because this is going to not only be the place where we get life and experience the king, in his transformation, we start laying things down. And you know right now what you need to lay down, what you're hanging on to. But this is where we become different, radically different than the world, is when we can start laying down football. Man, that one hurts. <laughs> or we lay down computers, video games or an affair or pornography or an addiction and we lay it down and we give up and we surrender. Now, um, one of the things I still have Mark up here for, he's like, get me down right now. But <laughs> Just speaking of marriages, God put this on my heart um, about nine months ago, that in light of the new structure, and you guys need to know that this structure has been a gift to me and my family of not having to do a new prep every week. It's freed me up wanting to pastor a lot more. And my heart wants to pastor. And I look at how big our church is, and I can't do it. And you have no idea like how much that frustrates me. But in the pastoring, there's one thing nine months ago that God just kept putting on my heart, marriages. And I can speak just like Mark can. Um, my marriage many years ago was in a bad place where divorce was very much reality. 
And God lifted this marriage, lifted Livy and me out of the mud and the mire, and he redeemed it. And what I've seen, especially over the last two or three months, or two or three years of being at Crossroads, is how many marriages right now are just struggling that are in the pit. And God kept saying to me, Rod, you've got to clear your plate more and more so you can give yourself to marriages. So what we've been doing under behind the scenes is um, I've been looking at different people in, the, in our church who have been giving their life to marriages, bringing them together. We have a team now. Um, this guy and his wife have been added to the team as well. And you're going to see some things unleashed come next fall uh, for marriages that are going to be highly aggressive and intentional. We're going for it. We want marriages not just to be uh, people getting along, but we want marriages to be all that God intended them to be and that they are proclaiming Christ to the world. So we're going to go for that at Crossroads. I'm laying that out there. You can hold me to it. Um, One of the things that you can do to help us, and why don't you tell them really quickly, Mark, as we're in this journey. Uh, One thing that we'd like all of the married couples here to do is uh, we've put together a survey through SurveyMonkey. It will be in the next emu that's sent to you, uh, which is just an email. And if you haven't signed up for emails from Crossroads, you can do that on the bulletin. And uh, what that's going to do is just give us some feedback from you. How can this group better serve you? And so we need to know what your wants, what your desires, what your needs are. And it'll be a quick survey, about five minutes is all it will take. It'll be kept confidential. You will take it as an individual. You can share your answers with your spouse if you'd like. But uh, to give you a little incentive, we're willing to give a gift card to a Gilmore Collection restaurant to a couple, okay, not to every couple, but for a couple that both you and your spouse uh, both fill out the survey for us. We would like to have this done in the next two weeks, so maybe by the end of May, we would like all of the uh, surveys filled out. Now, I'm a teacher, so I expect everybody to do their homework, but Rod, what do you think uh, would be a good goal for us? Yeah, everyone. We can do this. (laughs) Don't you have a prize? I did. I I said we were going to give a gift card. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Here's what I want to do. Thank you for asking about Jubilee. You just brought us back to that part of our journey. Isaiah 61. Get this in your hearts right now. Pray this in your hearts. Because we're going to step out of this text into prayer. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captive and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of Jubilee. Let's pray this right now. And 
Let's do this as a community. Whatever is on your heart this morning, wherever you are, you can just stand up and, and, and pray it aloud. But let's just enter into a time of, of family prayer. As God's Spirit leads you to pr- pray, please pray. Pray.